Welcome one, welcome all to the Mildly Defensive Fantasy Football Podcast. We're back, baby. <laughs> we, uh, we, we took a couple weeks here. Uh, we were trying to regroup a little bit. Um, and now we're, uh, we're ready to deliver um, a bunch of, of really good, um, hopefully really informative off-season content for you guys. Um, and with all the big news over the weekend, we thought we would kick some of that off by talking about the, the huge mega trade between Tennessee and Atlanta involving, of course, the, the great Julio Jones. Uh, my name is Matt Jordan. I am on the mic, as always, with my buddy Brandon Kroos, uh, back from a, a little hiatus. Uh, Brandon, yep. how did the move go? I know you had a lot going on. Busy, busy, but obviously when one of the best wide receivers in the league gets traded, you got to drop what you're doing and talk about it because it was a a, a trade heard around the world for uh, <laughs> for Julio. When, <clears throat> excuse me, when did the NFL like all of a sudden start becoming like more akin to the NBA and some of these where we actually see mega trades? I mean, it seemed like forever the NFL was like ultra boring, you know, like trade deadline doesn't really amount to anything. You don't really see big names being moved. All of a sudden yeah. we've got Stafford, Julio Jones. It's just like, it seems like it's one after the other. I mean, obviously the... <laughs> the looming elephant uh, over everything, you know, that we've been talking about in recent episodes is Aaron Rodgers. So, I mean, what what's going on here with the NFL? It, I mean, honestly, I think it's just something along the lines of some of these superstars are having longer careers and they're playing at a higher level. And as these players play longer, you're going to start to see them wanting to move and they're getting to a point in their career where they're like, I want rings. I know I'm coming to the end, but they're still providing value. So teams are willing to make trades for some of these players, knowing that you can get two, three respectable years from them. Absolutely. Um, and I think teams are being smart about this too, realizing, you know, if we're, we're kind of like two ships passing in the night, you know, so to speak, where mm -hmm. it, You've got some of these teams that where stars have really helped them win for a long time. The team is no longer winning. The star is aging. Yep. Um, on occasion, teams used to go down with the ship or they used to let the guy walk in free agency for nothing. Um, mm -hmm. Teams are getting a little smarter and saying, like, let's move this guy. Let's get at least something. Um, yeah. In some cases, you know, Detroit, I think, is notable here with Stafford. I think they're doing it as a solid to somebody that has, you know, done a lot for their organization and saying like, yep, you don't, you don't want to be a part of what we are about to be doing. <laughs> so let's send you somewhere where, you know, you can go out on a high note. Um, yep. You know, there's likely plenty of Giants fans that wish the Giants had, had done that for Eli. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he did not go out on a high note by any stretch of the imagination. Um so with that being said, the uh, the trade, I'm, I'm sure unless you're living under a rock, you are aware of the trade, but um, just to, to make sure that we have all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed, uh, this was Julio Jones to the Titans uh, for the Titans' second-round pick next year, a fourth-round pick, uh, I believe, in 2023, um, and then Tennessee was sending back a sixth-rounder. I believe that that one yep. might have also been in uh, 2023. Um, yep. So the, the gist of it was really picks, a second and a fourth, for Julio Jones. Um, so let's dive right into the Tennessee side of this, because I think it's really interesting, you know, what, what Tennessee is doing here. So Brandon, um, dive right in. What did you think about this from Tennessee's perspective? 
it makes sense. I mean, for, for the Titans, I mean, as soon as the news came out that Julio was demanding a trade, I mean, I think you were one of the first ones to say it's Titans and no one else. Like, I mean, that's essentially like the perfect landing spot for him. Titans have lost Corey Davis. They lost Johnny Smith. I mean, you still have AJ Brown, but you can't just have one stud wide receiver. Like you need that balance a little bit on the other side of the field. So I mean, for the Titans, it's what they needed to do to make sure A.J. Brown had a good year and that passing attack still stayed um, relevant. But I don't think it necessarily changes their offensive philosophy. Like, I don't see that they were one of the more run-heavy offenses last year. I don't see that changing much. I mean, I just mentioned they lost Corey Davis. They lost Janu Smith. They also lost Adam Humphreys. That's 192 targets that they now need to replace. I mean, is that a lot? So you, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty significant. So I mean, if you think about um, where they were last year, and I mean, they only threw it like 480 times. You could see AJ Brown bumping, getting up another 30 targets, up to like 130, but then. You're still talking about if Julio stays healthy all year, which is a big question mark after last year. It certainly is. <laughs> I mean, even if even if he gets 110 targets, you're still talking like 40, 50 more targets that are up for grabs. And then you look at um, Anthony Ferkser as seeing a bump as well. So mm-hmm. I think there's this expectation that Every like you add a Julio Jones, and now they're going to become this high octane passing offense where they really don't need to change anything. Mm-hmm. Julio is still relevant. Their offense is better, and you take a very good de- like defenses are going to have like the trouble of do we put eight in the box to stop Derrick Henry. Which and which you need to do, <laughs> which you need to do. But now sometimes all single... eight of those men can't stop him. Yeah, and you have now single coverage on the outside for AJ Brown or Julio, or do you try to like stop those two? And you only have seven in the box now to stop. Like it, it, it's <laughs> good. Good luck. It is interesting. I think that the one thing, if there's anyone who has who probably has seen the pressure on them rise exponentially. It's Todd Downing, their offensive coordinator. This is, he's taking over for Arthur Smith, who happens to be the Falcons head coach now. Like it's amazing how that works. Yep. Um, Same same deal with, uh, you know, Nick Sirianni going to the Eagles and then they immediately trade Wentz over to the Colts (laughs) where where he was. And, and so like, Todd Downing's had only one year calling plays, and that was with the Raiders in 2017, and that necessarily wasn't a very good year for them. So he has. Are there a lot any of good years for the Raiders? Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, I think there, there was what one year where Derek Carr was like a dark horse MVP. I was going to um, go back to John Madden, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you might have to go back that far. <laughs> I, I I sidetracked you. Um, <clears throat> yes, no, I, I agreed. I mean, I think that the the pressure ramps up exponentially, especially because you know that in terms of like getting Julio in his prime, 
um tennessee is very clearly betting on two years here right like i mean yeah you're you're looking at this saying if we can keep derrick henry healthy and just beastly for two more years and then we can add you know to an ascending aj brown you know julio jones and if he can be julio jones for two more years Mm -hmm. um that offense is pretty incredible you know i mean it's it's amazing to think that for them you can really i mean do everything that you've been doing but just with you know this is no offense to Corey davis but like just with a way better version of Corey davis mm-hmm. on the outside and julio jones you yeah. can still run two tight end sets which we know that they did frequently um under arthur smith yeah. uh you know and then you can just make a defense as you mentioned earlier pickett's poison um you know now that poison is uh pretty lethal regardless of what you choose <laughs> so um I mean, so with that being said, you know, looking at this from the fantasy football perspective, um, let, let's just start right at the top with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he's got to be a massive winner in this. What, what, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you had an all pro to across from the A.J. Brown. Yeah, of course, you're you're a winner. I think the question is now, where does he slot in among fantasy quarterbacks? Is he I mean, I think he was always a good QB one. The question is, is now does he become a top five QB this year? Um, it's, I mean, that's an interesting question. So I'm, I'm looking at his fantasy pros ECR right now. Uh, fantasy, so ECR is expert consensus ranking, um, just to, to remind everyone. So they've got him actually ranked at QB 11, which I think is like a little bit higher than I thought he was going to be. But, you know, Tannehill, he's, he is super interesting to me. Um, you know, so right now he's kind of, this is for redraft purposes. Um, Mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's living around, they've got Brady at like nine Hertz at 10 Stafford at 11 Tannehill at 12 Burrow at 13 Matt Ryan, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit at 14 Trevor Lawrence at 15. That's basically all of tier three. Um, you know, like where would you see his name, um, I guess I'm among the rest of those names. I'm taking Tannehill over all those names. I don't think there's anyone in redraft that I would take over him. I think the one thing that people tend to forget about with Tannehill is that he provides rushing value as well. He had seven rushing touchdowns last year. Yeah, ridiculous. I mean, yeah, that's not something that like can be just kind of brushed off to the side, especially in a league where your passing touchdowns are four and your rushing touchdowns are six. Try like, I think there's a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott. I'm very high on Justin Herbert this year. I mean, there's those five. They may be the only five that I would take over Tannehill. Like, yeah, he has to be, I mean, QB six. I probably would take him over Kyler Murray. Wow. I would take him over Lamar Jackson. It, it just so I mean I will say that Tannehill is probably safer than a few of those options, and I would definitely give you that. Um, yeah, I, I I'm not sure that he has a higher ceiling than some of those. Um, but I mean I I will say this, you know, like let's <clears throat> let's imagine a world. I mean Tennessee fans don't want to imagine this, but for fantasy purposes, play along. Um, mm-hmm. Let's imagine a world where Derrick Henry gets hurt. Um, now, there's no way, absolutely no way that they are pounding the rock with anybody else they have on that roster. Like, 
Correct. Brian Hill, they're going to give Brian Hill 350 no. carries. Darrington Evans, not happening. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think all of a sudden, if you're in a world where Derrick Henry gets hurt, this all of a sudden becomes a pass-happy team, right? Like, I mean, they're they're definitely not going to be the run-heavy approach that they've been. Um, yeah. And would Tannehill lose some efficiency? Of course he would. Oh, absolutely. Um, but with that being said, like, his volume would just spike. And, I mean... Can yeah. we imagine a world where Tannehill throwing more passes to AJ Brown and Julio Jones is a bad thing fantasy wise? <laughs> no, it's well, you know I mean, or even dump offs to Darrington Evans. Like I mean, I think Tannehill. I mean, there's at least like a world that I don't think people are talking about where like the safe floor he offers. Like there could actually be a ceiling there in a world where Derrick Henry gets hurt. This is not a good defense. Um, they're going to have well, to score to keep up. That's exactly what I was about to say. We are the mildly defensive podcast, and I think it is worth mentioning that their secondary is atrocious. Like they are going to be in shootouts, um, basically every week. Um, now this is not going to be your typical shootout because again, you're going to lean on Derrick Henry. Like that's just the offense is still pretty much going to run through Derrick Henry. But Tannehill is going to be probably one of the most efficient quarterbacks there are this year. And then when you add in that run component, to your point, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson probably certainly have higher ceilings. I would put that. Uh, I mean, I would put Tannehill in in that in that group of, of quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think other than if if healthy, I I love the potential ceiling for Joe Burrow. Philly's an interesting situation, and we'll get into Philly at some point this offseason. Um, but I mean the the rushing talent that Jalen Hurts, of course, gives him a, yeah. um, you know, tremendous ceiling. But I mean, really, other than those two, yeah, I would agree. Like Brady, I mean, I'm probably going to find myself below consensus on Brady this year. Um, mm-hmm. It's not to say that I don't think he's a good option, but I would definitely take Tannehill over him. Stafford, I think, is super interesting. Um, you know, I think I'd put him in a similar place to Ryan Tannehill um, but because Stafford offers absolutely no rushing you know yeah. I, I think that's where you you kind of lean Tannehill's way there if you assume that they have a you know essentially similar passing stats so um, yeah I mean I think Tannehill he is to me a locked and loaded QB1 and I think that's the big thing to take away here is that yeah without Julio Jones he's been putting up QB1 numbers the last couple years way under the radar now with Julio I think it locks him in to, to QB one numbers, yep. you know, and, and then you look at, wow, like, could he, could he be something more? Um, and he, he definitely could be. Um, yep. I, I don't necessarily think we need to talk about Derrick Henry anymore because I mean, you're already drafting Derrick Henry for redraft. I don't think that this hurts sure. Derrick Henry. <laughs> um, if yeah. anything, as Brandon mentioned, somehow, some way Derrick Henry could be more scary because maybe he'll see less people in the box. Um, yep. and that's terrifying to think about. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Derek Henry, if you were already in, this should not affect anything for you. Um, yeah. but let's actually just move to the wide receivers. Cause I think that that part is fascinating here. Um, so for ECR currently they've got Julio at wide receiver 15, AJ Brown at wide receiver four. Now, one thing to consider is that, you know, likely the expert consensus ranking has not caught up to this trade news yet. Um, so there could certainly be some movement here. Um, when you think about this, um, you know, for, for AJ Brown and for Julio, how does this affect things for you? Do they, um, 
do they leech off of each other? Does do you see this helping them at all? Does this hurt both of their values? What, what do you think? Yeah, it, it, I don't think it hurts AJ Brown in any way. Um, I, I think that going into this year without Corey Davis, he was going to get a lot of coverage with only Josh Reynolds on the other side. Um, like all the defenders. <laughs> yeah. Josh Reynolds is not scaring anyone. They might've even put Josh um, Reynolds defender on AJ Brown as well. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll um, take our chances with that guy wide open. <laughs> Let's just put all four of these defensive backs on. <laughs> we're going to put, it would be funny. They would put Josh Reynolds right next to AJ Brown, just in the hopes that like <laughs> the defense would get confused. Like, Oh no, I'm not supposed to be covering Josh Reynolds, but like I accidentally am. Um, so I think A.J. Brown gets more efficient, which is kind of hard to – like I, I say more efficient, but he did have like a catch rate of like 70%. I think that stays pretty cons- – that stays where it was. I think it was going to – he was going to see more targets without Julio, and that catch rate was going to go down. I think the catch rate now stays the same, but he sees more targets. I think you can yep. expect another 30, 40 targets and that – 70 percent you're talking about like another 30 receptions like i I mean he could be upwards of 80 90 receptions and you're you're talking now another 200 receiving yards from so now he's up to like 85 receptions 1200 receiving yards and i think touchdowns are always hard to project i think it's it's he had 11 last year. I think that stays pretty consistent. I can't imagine seeing a significant jump there. Um, yeah, it's it, it's hard to say with that. You know what's interesting, um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this when we get to Calvin Ridley, but um, there's interesting parallels between these two situations, right? Because you had the ascending talent in Calvin Ridley next to the, you know, the ultra stud that is Julio Jones. And, you know, there's always been kind of jokes in the fantasy community that Julio can't score touchdowns. Um, And obviously it's not that he can't score touchdowns, but it's that generally he hasn't. And, you know, one of those reasons is you get down into the red zone and, you know, all eyes are on Julio Jones, right? Um, and, And that, I think, allowed Calvin Ridley to have ridiculous touchdown numbers, you know, ever since he's Mm -hmm. been an Atlanta Falcon. Um, so, I mean, it's fascinating to think about what does that look like in Tennessee? Um, so, you know, does Julio continue to command that alpha coverage or does it stray over toward AJ Brown? I mean, like, I think, you know, my best guess right now is I feel like, you know, this is the ultimate pick your poison situation where Mm -hmm. you've got this, you know, strong, incredibly fast, young receiver on one side, the slightly older, but still incredibly talented, you know, Julio Jones on the other side, who still can separate with the best of them. Um, Probably doesn't have the yards after the catch ability that he once did. And certainly not in in AJ Brown's caliber. No one has what AJ Brown has in that way. But um, I guess the interesting question is like, if teams continue to put their best corner on Julio um, and if they have a lot of eyes on Julio in the red zone, because he's such a big target. I mean, Mm -hmm. could you actually see AJ Brown's touchdown efficiency somehow against all odds increase? I mean, it's already at an insane level, but um, I, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but I also think based on what we've seen in Atlanta, 
it's not completely out of the question. Um, no. You know, if, if all the defenders are looking at Julio, um, we already know Tannehill loves to throw to A.J. Brown. Um, I just – I think A.J. Brown is going to be an animal. Um, I, I, I mean, it is a weird thing to think about that Julio now is the second option. Like, he's always been that top receiver for his entire NFL career, and now – He's coming into a position where you have A.J. Brown who's ascending and Julio's kind of coming down. And to your point, it's like I almost feel like teams are going to shy towards covering A.J. Brown, like trying to shut him down and, and taking their chances within older Julio, which I don't think either is going to be a great option. But <laughs> like, not, it's not going to go well. <laughs> it, it's It's almost like I think Julio may see his – touchdown numbers go up mm-hmm. and I mean think about it. you you take Julio and AJ and you put them on the outside you're talking now inside the 5 10 yard line you're spreading your defense out and then oh okay we're just going to hand it to Derrick Henry up the middle like <laughs> <laughs> or we're going to fake it and we're just going to run Tannehill on the outside on a sweep like it, the things they can do especially close to the goal line is going to be kind of remarkable yeah, I would agree. So, I mean, just to put some context to this, A.J. Brown is currently wide receiver four. Uh, so he's in tier two, um, actually, you know, ironically, right next to Calvin Ridley, um, D.K. Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, Justin Jefferson. The only receivers currently above A.J. Brown, once again, this is for redraft, are Tyreek, Devontae Adams, and Stefan Diggs. Um, now, obviously, you know, Devontae Adams, there's a gigantic asterisk there. Um, the, yeah. the asterisk is, you know, shaped like Aaron Rodgers um, <laughs> in terms of <laughs> what what that's going to look like. Um, you know, man, I think A.J. Brown, I mean, for me, he's right there with all those guys. You know, like, do I think I would take him over Tyreek or Diggs? No. You know, just because I think that one's such a slam dunk for those two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but at least right now, especially with the uncertainty with Devontae Adams, I mean, I would definitely take A.J. Brown over Devontae Adams. You know, we'll talk about Ridley in a second. I think that Ridley, I mean, he's locked and loaded to be a top six receiver. Um, Yeah. But I don't think I'd take any of these other guys that are below over A.J. Brown. So I think he's still no, right I, there. You know, he's a top five, locked and loaded top five receiver. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he moves into that. Disc- I, I think he has the chance to lead the league in receiving yards. I, I mean, in, in, I don't know if receptions, because I don't think the volume is going to be there. But, like, receiving yards, I think he could lead the league in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. And if you have those two things, now, I mean, you're definitely talking a top receiver this year. I think – to your point, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs seem like safer options. They, it's the same offense they're playing in, same quarterback. You, you have, I saw something where Aaron Rodgers may not come back until week three or week four of the regular season. Um, which I want to point out that they said the same thing about Le'Veon Bell. We remember how that went. <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean, it's that's a scary. Like I don't know if I would use a first round pick on Devontae Adams right now. I mean, I don't think you can. No. Um, I mean, I think for, for me, gosh, I don't know how late Devontae Adams would have to slide before I would feel comfortable. You know, because I think the question you have to ask yourself is, if you assume that Jordan Love is the guy, 
where does that leave Devontae Adams? You know, and I think he's still very good, but like, I mean, I don't even think I would see him as like a top 12 receiver. I mean, I think I would probably no. drop him to like, I don't know. I don't, well, we're actually going to talk about that right now because Julio is, is a wide receiver 15. Um, so he's in tier three. So just to give you an idea yeah. of like who these tier three receivers are at number nine, uh, you've got Terry McLovin. Uh, 10 mm-hmm. is Mike Evans. Uh, A-Rob, Allen Robinson is number 11. Michael Thomas, um, he and Devontae Adams could be similar in that way. He's at number 12. Yeah. Keenan Allen is 13. Chris Godwin's 14. Julio at 15. Amari Cooper at 16. CeeDee Lamb at 17. DJ Moore at 18. Adam Thielen at 19. Um, you know, so in, in thinking about that tier, you know, like I think for me, that's where Devontae Adams would fall if I knew Jordan Love was the quarterback, um, just because I'd be really worried. I mean, one of the things that has built Devontae Adams, first of all, is being hyper-targeted by Rodgers, but also being hyper-targeted in the end zone. Um, And obviously those being high-quality end zone targets. You know, I would still feel confident that Devontae Adams is going to get a ton of targets. But, I mean, I feel like you would have to project his touchdown numbers to fall way off with Jordan Love. You know, and if that's the case, I feel like this is the tier he falls in. Um, you know, and just looking at these names, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I'd probably feel better about him than Thielen, DJ Moore. I don't think I would draft Devontae Adams over either of the Cowboys receivers. Yeah. I mean, and that brings us to, take- to Julio, you know, and like, so, I mean, where do you, what do you think about Julio in this tier? Like, do you like him in this tier? Do you think he needs to go further down? Like, where would you draft him around these names? Um, I mean, I think that I'm not taking him before the Bucks receivers. I think Mike, Mike Evans is as steady as they come. I mean, he's yeah. like you, you, a thousand receiving yards, 60 receptions, eight touchdowns. Seems like you can expect that every year. I mean, so, Evans, Godwin, uh, uh, CeeDee Lamb, uh, uh, Amari Cooper is someone, you know my feelings about Amari Cooper, and <laughs> as, as overhyped as they come, and I will never draft Amari Cooper. <laughs> um, I just don't see. So, 15 feels about right. I mean, I, I can't, if you project Julio, to get the same number of targets, maybe a little bit more. So, like, if you just then what Corey Davis got, you're talking 100 targets, probably 70, 75 receptions, and maybe bump his touchdowns from, like, five to eight. I mean, that's pretty solid numbers. That's, a I, th- I think, probably a very high-end wide receiver, too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I'd probably knock him down a couple pegs here, only because um, his health really concerns me. I had Julio in a couple leagues yeah. last year, and it was not yeah. a fun ride. Um, you know, and and all you need is one thing. I mean, he's he's older. Uh, he now has a history of soft tissue injuries. You know, to to his lower body, and that worries me. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think. We saw that he was able to come back from these things previously, and last year he just couldn't. Um, you know, it was all of a sudden he'd get this injury, and then he would miss the next two games, and then he would come back, and he would re-injure it, and he would miss the next two games. Um, 
And well, that, the thing that was probably most frustrating was that he would leave at halftime. Yeah, well, <laughs> he would yeah. come back and leave at halftime. <laughs> it definitely did not help my cause. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think because of like the, the high risk with his injury yeah. situation, I'd probably have him at the bottom of that tier just ahead of Adam Thielen. Um, but, I mean, if you were to tell me that Julio played all 17 games – then yeah, I mean, I'd probably have him right up there with like Keenan Allen. You know, he'd be like 13, yeah. 14, 15. Um, I just feel much more confident in the rest of this list that they can stay healthy, you know, minus Thielen, who has his own issues with his back. <laughs> um, so I think that's where I'd have him as kind of like connected with uh, another fellow old man river and uh, Adam Thielen, <laughs> just kind of yeah. chilling at the bottom of that tier. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is that like – when I talk about Julio, I think about Julio staying fully healthy. And to your point, he didn't show that last year. Um, prior to that, though, he's been very durable and he's been on the field and productive. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Falcons fans would tell you that he's been hurt a lot, but previously he'd always been able to play through that. Um, yeah. Something yeah. that I don't think he's given enough credit for. You know, like he gave everything to Atlanta. He played through a ton of injuries. Um you know, and I'm, I'm wondering if he's at that point in his career where that's taking a toll on his body, you know, like it mm-hmm. shows up with all these guys. Um, so I think that's where my concern would come in with Julio. Um, as, as a result, it's going to be really interesting to see as we get to draft season, um, you know, if he's healthy through training camp and all that and people are getting into their drafts, I think that there's understandably mm-hmm. going to be a lot of positivity around Julio. You know, just to kind of wrap this up, let's talk about um, a few other receivers. We don't need to get into depth about their ECR or anything, but I think people are now going to be wondering um, Josh Reynolds. So really quick, quick take on this. Are you still interested in Josh Reynolds or is he dead to you? No, I was never interested to begin with. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) mean, there was going to be some volume there. You had to at least be like a little interested. He's like Adam Humphreys level i mean we who adam humphreys had like 20 something receptions um honestly the only other name that i'm looking at in this titans offense is anthony ferkser titans have liked to use their tight ends a lot i mean he got 50 targets last year and that was with johnu smith johnu smith is gone now I think that if you're looking, like if you miss out on some of these top tight ends and you just want to basically punt the position, the late rounds, Ferkser I think is a tremendous option to kind of hope that he has a breakout year. I think that if there's anyone on this offense outside of the names that we mentioned, it's the Titans tight end. Yeah, I like that. You know, I I think that there's some thought out there in the community that this hurts Ferkser. Maybe, I mean, maybe it like hurts a potential ceiling for Ferkser, but I think he's still really solid. So I'm, I'm with you. I think oh, yeah. Ferkser is just as good as any other, you know, late round uh, roulette wheel <laughs> spin at, yeah. at, at tight end. I mean, the tight, tight end position is just a mess. Like there's just, but I mean, on the other end in Atlanta, tight end <laughs> position's looking pretty good. Well, we might as well just start there, right? I mean, that's what, that's what everyone <laughs> wants to talk about. Um, yeah. Kyle Pitts. So, I mean, they've... ECR right now has him at tight end seven. Clearly ECR has not caught up to this news yet. Um, I mean, what, what does this do for Kyle Pitts in your eyes? So this, this is the thing that scares me about Pitts and the tight end position is that really there's not been a rookie tight end in the last 
I don't know what, 15 years, who's provided fantasy value as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's not there. You look at like, oh, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, like, oh, these guys are going to be great as rookies. No, like, they're still, like, we're still almost kind of waiting for that breakout from both of them. It takes a couple of years for these guys to develop. Now, with that said, Kyle Pitts is not your typical tight end. Like, (laughs) if you're Arthur Smith, while it sucks that you lose Julio Jones, and, like, obviously, like, he would be a big part of your offense, like, it gives you more freedom to do things with Kyle Pitts, who's basically a unicorn. Like, you're not going to line him up in line. He just can't block. So now you can put him out wide where Julio typically was. You can put him in the slot. Like, you can move Kyle Pitts around now to exploit mismatches. So it's kind of this balancing act of knowing in the back of my mind that rookie tight ends typically don't do anything. Kyle Pitts is not your typical rookie tight end. I think for me, like, I'm probably not going to have Kyle Pitts on any team because just because of the fact that I think there's people who are going to jump the gun and move, like, Kyle Pitts up to being, like, essentially the third or fourth tight end off the board. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's just that's too early for me to kind of have that unknown. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think that's the conundrum here. Um, you know, so without kind of retreading on on what you just talked about, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll talk about it from a couple a couple different ways. So I think what a lot of fantasy analysts are caught up on is exactly what you just talked about right now, which is like the history of the tight end position and the and a very well chronicled history of tight ends not delivering in their first year and in a lot of cases their first two years in the league um what makes this different and what's really important um is that kyle pitts is not your traditional tight end he was you know much like kelsey used as a weapon at florida moved all over the formation um when you talk about receivers and and he's a receiver in the sense that you know he's he's going out there and he's going to be catching passes that's his primary function um Mm -hmm. The uh, the main thing to always think about with receivers is, you know, they they have to um, earn their targets, right? Um, one of the things that I think has been a struggle for tight ends previously is an, an inability to, like, get open and play well enough to earn their targets and to be on the mm-hmm. field and run enough routes. Um, what you have to love about Kyle Pitts is that he's going to check all those boxes. We know he's going to check all those boxes. And I think Julio yeah. getting traded ensures that that's going to be the case um you know it we had we had talked offline about this and the the question was posed you know who is julio's replacement and i said kyle pitts (laughs) and you know and and that that sounds ridiculous but i mean to me that's the answer right like i mean so we'll talk about some other names here really quickly but um the person that's going to soak up the most targets as a result of julio jones not being there is not a receiver it's Kyle Pitts. Like the targets are going to go to him. He's not going to line up like Julio, but the targets are going to go to him and he's going to earn them because he's going to get open. Um, You know, and it's just, it's going to be really challenging for opposing defenses to contain this guy. Um, Now it's only going to get worse. I mean, this is going to be their best chance to contain him. Um, But you know, you're, you're looking at a team that has a bad defense. We talked about this with Tennessee. They're going to have to throw the Mm -hmm. ball a lot. Maybe not as much as they have previously, but they're still going to have to throw it a lot. There's a gigantic void with Julio not being there, um, and and Pitts is there. I mean, I think it, yeah. it's going to be really hard to imagine a world where this guy doesn't get 100 targets as a rookie, which is crazy. 
Um, yeah. It, and the other thing is, again, we talked a little bit about it, but Arthur Smith is the head coach now, and Tennessee ran the most two tight end sets last year. Like, that's not going to change. Kyle Pitts is not going to come off the field. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to be playing 85 90% of the snaps. Best thing for him is that Calvin Ridley is probably going to pull most of the, the coverage. As long as Arthur Smith is creative, and, and and I'm not saying he's not going to be, but like understanding this is not your traditional tight end, and you can move him around anywhere on the field to create those mismatches. Like he's gonna, I think he's gonna have a good year, but it's just that value of where you would have to take him scares me. So so then let's put it to the test. Here's where he's going. Uh, number four, Mark Andrews. Number five. TJ Hawkinson, number six, Kyle Pitts, number seven, Dallas Goddard, number eight, Noah Fant, number nine, Robert Tunyon. Where are you taking him in that group? It's tough because I'm going to say that Kyle Pitts is the best tight end in that group. I'm probably having to get Pitts, what, five rounds before most of those tight ends? Like, oh, you're so. That's well. I mean, the, usually the fourth, fifth, sixth, like those tight ends are those mid-round guys. And if you're assuming like a one-quarterback redraft league, um, yeah, yeah, these are the guys that go in that like, you know, um, basically like Waller, Kittle, Kelsey. These guys will all get taken in the first three rounds, generally yeah. speaking, of a draft. Yeah. You know, so then you've yeah. got that like round four through eight, let's say, in a redraft league where some of these like tier yeah. two guys go. Um and to your point, like Pitts is probably going to go toward the top of that tier. Um, yeah. I, you know, I can't imagine anyone that's going to be so enthused that they're going to take Pitts over that top three. I hope not. Um, <laughs> I guess you never know. Um, that would be a very poor choice, by the way. Please don't do that. Um, but, you know, I mean, in, in terms of ceiling, and this is what's crazy, you know, like I, I feel like I'm trying to take a sober approach with Kyle Pitts, but. I mean, you look at every single one of those names, he easily has the highest ceiling of all these guys. I mean, I... He has the highest ceiling. I think the only one that I would probably take over him just because I think he has a higher floor is Goddard. I think Dallas Goddard is probably the only name in that group that I would take over Kyle Pitts. And even Goddard's ECR, I think, is dragged down a little bit because they haven't traded Ertz yet. But, I mean, we know that that's a yeah. foregone conclusion. That's coming. Um, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be super interesting to put to the test when people get on the clock. You know, because I think that the volume that Hawkinson will get this year is very safe. Uh, we know that Lamar Jackson loves targeting Mark Andrews in the end zone. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and as much as we believe in Pitts, we haven't seen it yet. You know, and I think that part is really is really fascinating. Um, let's transition over to Calvin Ridley. Um, I don't think we need to say a lot about Ridley because we've already talked a decent amount um, about him. Um, but just to dive in, w- do you see this moving the needle much for Ridley, Julio not being there? I mean, wh- where do you stand on Calvin Ridley? I feel like Ridley now falls into the A.J. Brown conversation of what we were talking about, A.J. Brown, where he's going to get a ton of targets. He may not be as efficient with those targets because of the coverage he's going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing that helps Calvin Ridley is that he is a very smooth route runner. He's going to get open with that 
route running ability. Absolutely. Um, he's. It's funny. Like the 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 talk was that Matt Ryan's losing his arm strength. Like, and Julio wanted to go to a big armed receiver. Like, I don't know how much validity there is to that. But like, is this a Calvin Ridley becomes that kind of just like that mid range wide receiver, that guy that's going to live in the 10 to 20 yard range every time. Um, and Matt Ryan's going to pepper him. It's like, I think the one thing that like, I would not be surprised if he had like a Stefan Diggs type season. I feel like Stefan Diggs and Calvin Ridley are very similar in that they're not the biggest guy, but they got quickness. They got speed. They can beat the defender and create space with their route running. Um, and Diggs lived in that 10 to 20 yard range and he mm-hmm. would get eight to 10 targets. He'd have a hundred yards and like the occasional touchdown. Um, so for me, I think that's where I position Ridley. I mean, I think a year from now, if you told me that Ridley led the league in receptions and receiving yards, I wouldn't be surprised. I think his floor is no lower than a, a low end wide receiver one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of where he's living coming into this year. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's there's a lot to digest with the Ridley situation, so I'll, I'll kind of boil it down simply in this way. Um, Ridley has built his career so far. We talked a little bit about this earlier with Julio um, based on incredible touchdown efficiency. And mm-hmm. a lot of that has been, you know, Julio taking all of that um, challenging coverage. Uh, I've heard a couple ill-fated um, takes that folks have had saying that what if Ridley is Juju part two, the reference there being that Juju had incredible numbers when Antonio Brown was there. And then as soon as Antonio Brown left, of course, you know, Juju couldn't handle the pressure of having to beat bracket coverage and everything else. And then, you know, he, he struggled. Um, the, the difference is we didn't get a chance to see Juju um, in any significant sample without Antonio Brown. We have actually yeah. seen Calvin Ridley in a significant sample without Julio Jones. Um, and, and what the data says is that <laughs> Ridley gets more targets, more receiving yards, more catches. The only thing that goes down is his touchdowns. And that yep. makes sense. Because, you know, now all of a sudden he's the one that has all the eyes on him in the red zone. Um, Matt Ryan's numbers also drop off precipitously without Julio Jones. Um, So, you know, I think for me, the big loser here in Atlanta is Matt Ryan. Um, You know, I I think that in super flex leagues, you can still, you know, go for Matt Ryan as a QB two. I think that there's definitely still something there. And Arthur Smith has proven to do very well with quarterbacks. Um, You know, so I think the hope here is that Arthur Smith can help to kind of revive whatever Matt Ryan has left. Um, but I think, you know, I, if I had to uh, place money right now to Brandon's point on who is going to have the most catches and the most yards in the NFL at the wide receiver position, my money would be on Calvin Ridley. Um, I think that he's going to be just an absolute horse in Atlanta. Um, he's going to command a ludicrous number of targets. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, I think the question is where are the touchdowns going to fall. And if I had to bet, you're looking at a huge touchdown regression this year um, yeah. from Calvin Ridley. You know, so this could be one of those like 130 catch, 
you know, 1,450 yards, five touchdown years, you know, where like the, the touchdowns aren't really there, but then he just absolutely overwhelms you um, with the rest of his numbers. So I, I love Ridley. I tend to love guys that are going to give me that solid baseline of catches and yards anyway. Um, so I would be more than happy to have Calvin Ridley um, and Dynasty or Redraft. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Um, one thing I'll say about Pitts uh, just really briefly um, before we get to the other receivers is if Ridley's not getting the touchdown, someone else will. Um, and the smart money seems to be on Kyle Pitts. Um, and that's the other reason I think to be very uh, interested, we'll say, in a potential ceiling for Kyle Pitts. Um, because I think if if they're creative with him in the red zone, um, he should be nearly impossible to stop. Um, we saw with Florida, he was averaging over a touchdown a game um, with Florida. He had one one game, remember who it was against now, but he scored four touchdowns in one game. Um, he's a beast, an absolute beast. Um, you know, so like, do I think that there is a world where Kyle Pitts could actually score upwards of like 12 touchdowns this year? I do. Um, I, am I betting on that? No. But like, do I think that's in the realm of possibility? No crazily yes i do think that that's in the realm of possibility um and once again i think it's because all eyes are going to have to be on calvin ridley um and if they utilize pits i mean he's going to have one defender and that defender is going to have a heck of a time trying trying to contain kyle pitts um yeah so just something to consider there um so rapid fire i'm going to throw some names at you here tell me if you're interested in any of these guys um Russell Gage, uh, someone that stepped up into the void last year when Julio Jones was down. Uh, interested? Nope. Okay. Um, draft pick uh, this year, I think he was a sixth rounder maybe, Frank Darby. Um, this is someone that obviously this administration picked. Um, so yep. you interested in Frank Darby? Absolutely. Oh. That's the guy that I think if you're trying to find a sleeper in this offense, if you're trying to find – that guy who's going to get that leftover targets from after Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts, Darby is the guy. Um, to your point, he was drafted by this administration. Um, he comes from Arizona State. He didn't have a great year last year, um, but it, when you look at 2019, um, actually before I go into that, the, the Three years that he was with Arizona State from 2017 to 2019, he averaged over 20 yards a reception. He is a guy that is going to can get over the top of defenses. And in 2019, he had 616 receiving yards and eight touchdowns for Arizona State. And the reason why I like Darby is that he can live in that second option in the offense because in 2019, Arizona State had Brandon Ayuk. Um, and Darby was able to take advantage of those one-on-one matchups and, and get those those essentially leftovers and be productive. Um, so for me, the one guy that I'm targeting, because I think he's basically going undrafted right now, and that might change come yeah. training camp and preseason. Wide receiver 149, I would say that that's undrafted. It, that's undrafted. So if you're your last round and you're like, I need a flyer at wide receiver, I think Frank Darby's the guy. Um, to your point, Atlanta's defense is atrocious. 
they are going to have to be putting up points. You're talking, I think, depending on matchups, I think he's a potential like flex wide receiver three that you can put in. So for me, I think Frank Darby is the one of this group that I'm targeting because of basically he's free, and I think he can be productive. Nice. Um, all right, the the last two names I'll put out there, Alamedi Zacchaeus, uh, Tajay Sharp. Yeah. Any interest in either of those guys? <laughs> no. No? I don't know how Tajay Sharp still has a team. Tajay Sharp, come on. <laughs> he was relevant for like three games. <laughs> Three games. Um, um, so, I mean, one thing to consider yeah. is those three games were with Arthur Smith in Tennessee. Um, yeah. So I think he's at least someone that you have to think about. We know it's a good old boys uh, network in the NFL. Tajay Sharp was at least very briefly successful for Arthur Smith in the past, and they brought him in. Um, something definitely to keep an eye on in training camp and something that we will brief you all on in training camp. Um, I'll put in a plug for Alamedi Zacchaeus. I do think that this is a talented player, and I think that if he actually gets some run as a wide receiver, two or three, he could show something. Um and then for Gage, I mean, the one thing to say about Russell Gage is Matt Ryan has always been a quarterback that has zeroed in on certain targets. That's who he's been his entire career. Um, he did show last year that Russell Gage is someone that he zeroes in on. Um, I feel like there's at least an opportunity here for Russell Gage to basically be this year's version of Jamison Crowder, um, which is like one of the least sexy like things you could ever say about a player. Um, but I mean, I think you rostered Jamison Crowder in a few leagues, right, Brandon? Like it, it, yeah. it gets you PPR points. Um, you know, so like Russell Gage is not someone I would expect to be scoring uh, many, if any touchdowns. Um, but I do think yeah. that this is someone that probably could give you some pretty safe wide receiver three volume just based on like catches and some yards. Um, you know, so I, Russell Gage is at least interesting to me, depending on where he goes mm -hmm. in drafts right now, he's wide receiver 72. There's no way that that's going to continue. Um, but you know, it, if he stays pretty cheap, he's someone I could see throwing a flyer out there, knowing that like he could be a nice bye week fill in, or if I get an yep. injury or something like that, that he'd be all right. Yeah. And I, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I think we need to talk about it, about Hayden Hurst. Um, Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, you talked about the two tight end piece. Where does this leave Hayden Hurst? I mean, I think basically folks were throwing dirt onto Hayden Hurst. Um, yeah. But, you know, without Julio there, this actually could be interesting. Are you interested at all in Hayden Hurst? I mean, is this someone you would actually draft? This is someone I actually traded for recently. I will... Uh... I'll put my name on it. I, I traded for Hayden Hurst after this news came out. Nice. Um, I, I mean, I think that, again, we talk about like the tight end position just being a wasteland um, after the top three, top four with Kyle Pitts. Um, so, like, I drafted Ferkser. I drafted, I mean, I traded for Hayden Hurst. The reason I, I traded for Hayden Hurst was this past year he had 88 targets. Like, and now you you take out Julio, and you add in a coach who's leans on two tight end sets. Like, I don't see necessarily Hayden Hurst going away. I think that as long as Matt Ryan stays healthy, and again, all this is predicated on Matt Ryan still doing something. Um, I, I mean, 
I like Hayden Hurst's upside. I think that, to your point, like everyone could just kind of wrote him off, but with how much they play a two-tight end set, Hurst is going to be on the field. Like He's still going to have opportunities to make plays. Um, and again, as a late-round guy, I-, I like the upside to Hurst. Yeah. Well, he, he reminds me of Russell Gage in that way, you know, so like if, you know, if you like uh, peanut butter sandwiches, so like no jelly, like nothing spicy, um, like just straight <laughs> peanut butter on your sandwich. Um, you know, if you like your, your ice cream to be vanilla with no twist in it, no sprinkles, don't try to put any hot fudge, just plain <laughs> vanilla ice cream. Like then you're going to love yourself some Hayden Hurst. You are going to love yourself some Russell Gage. There's no frills here. We're just going to get a couple dump offs. We're going to, you know, we're going to give you your eight fantasy points and we're going to move on with our day. Um, you know, that, that peanut butter sandwich, it's, it's two pieces of bread. It's a little bit of peanut butter. It's going to get the job done. That's all you need. Um, I, I, I like it. Uh, I think that Hayden Hurst is absolutely interesting. Um, and, you know, you certainly have the upside piece, and this is what Ferkser brought last year in this same offense, that if Kyle Pitts gets hurt, all of a sudden Hayden Hurst has yeah. the lion's share of that work. Um, and, and that upside is is absolutely tantalizing. I mean, clearly he does not have Pitts upside, but the volume that could be present without Pitts in that offense would be extraordinary for Hayden Hurst. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I think Hurst brings is – tight end or touchdown upside um when you have Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley like you're probably double teaming those two guys to an extent and Hurst who had six touchdowns last year I think can get those winnable matchups close to the red zone and in the end zone um and and to your point like Matt Ryan likes the guys that he he knows and Hurst is one of those guys so um I mean, I could see Hurst ending up with six to eight touchdowns this year. I, I mean, probably a drop in targets to maybe 70, and your receptions drop to like, I don't know, 45 or something like that. But 45 receptions, 500 yards, and eight touchdowns, I mean, you're talking borderline tight end one with those kind of numbers. Um, so I think Hurst is a guy that certainly you should take a flyer on and is, is worth one of those late-round picks. I love it. Um, well, we've, uh, we've given you 55 minutes on this trade. I feel good about all, well, maybe not all 55 of them, like 52. (laughs) It was probably at least four minutes there where we trailed off into nothingness. Um, but you know, that's why you come to mildly defensive. Um, there's, there's going to be some side tangents, you know, life is going to happen. That that's okay. Um, so, uh, moving forward, um, I, we talked about this last time, but Brandon and I are going to be giving you divisional previews. Uh, so the first one will come out next week. Um, we're probably going to break these into multiple installments just to protect your ears a little bit. So we'll probably do, you know, like a part A, part B for each division, cover two teams at a time. We'll go through each position group, uh, give you a, a good idea going into the off season of how we feel um, about some of the players on each team's folks you should be targeting things to watch in training camp, um, and it should be a good time. Um, As always, give us a follow at Mildly Defensive. You can certainly follow Brandon and I individually um, if you would like. If you haven't done so already, please rate and subscribe. That will certainly help uh, get this information um, out to new listeners, which would be great for us. Um, As always, uh, have a great rest of your week. For Brandon Cross, I'm Matt Jordan.